Welcome to the Value Adds Value podcast, where we help you become the teacher your kids deserve. I am your host, Kyle Krieger, and along with my co-host, Wilkie V. Law III, we want to thank you for coming along with us on this journey to become the teachers our kids deserve. We know that if you're listening to this podcast, you want to be that great teacher that your kids deserve, but it can be hard to find the ways to do it. That is why we are here, and that is why we are interviewing some of the best teachers from around the country and around the world. We want to share with you their stories of how they built their craft through experience, how they've sharpened their skills through reflection, and how they are leveraging their unique gifts to change lives. We hope that this podcast inspires and equips you to become the teacher that you've always dreamt of being and that teacher that your kids deserve to have. So, before we get started, if you want to connect with us on social media, please do at Value Adds Value. Also, you can find us on our website, theledproject.com. And if you don't mind, before we kick off, hit that like, hit that subscribe button, and let us know what we're doing and how we could do it better. Before we get started on this episode, everybody, we want to take a chance to talk to you about a platform and a company that we believe in, and that's Nearpod. Now, we've had a relationship with Nearpod for over a year now, and it is by far the best educational platform we've ever used. What Nearpod is, is a presentation and engagement tool that you can use with your students. The things we love about it is you can create lessons that can either be paced by you, the teacher, or you can create lessons that allow your students to work at their own pace. And it's interactive. And one thing they've just added that makes it so much easier is it can integrate with Google Slides and Focat. So if you want to try Nearpod for free, go to this website, Go dot nearpod.com backslash value adds value that's go.nearpod.com backslash value adds value to try nearpod for free hey everybody it's kyle krieger here and welcome back to the value adds value podcast a podcast for teachers I am joined today by my co-host, Wookie V. Law III. Will, what's good? What's going on? What's going on, man? On the grind early. Yeah. Well, I guess I could say late. My my, my, my days and nights are kind of blending in in this, in this yeah. program. So Yeah, this is, uh, we're recording this the day after Black Friday. So we recorded a podcast yesterday that went out last week with Esther Brunat. And Wookie hasn't been to sleep yet, but we're, you know... Rocking the next podcast, and we're thrilled to be joined once again by our good friend Mike Creekmore. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, fellas. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know we're we're excited. We we really enjoyed having the first round of podcasts with you and your wife. That was such a fun experience. That was a the only time we've ever had uh, two guests besides us. That was super fun. But um, we're excited to have you because we were uh, you know this this month or these months here November December we're we're working on how teachers can can grow through these holiday months rather than just coasting. And it just kind of happened that that you posted a week or two ago about 
being conscientious of what kids go through um, in this holiday season and how many of them have a lot of difficulties and a lot of anxiety in this season. And, and being that you're a school counselor, it, uh, it just fit perfect to have you back on. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So to get started, Mike, if you don't mind, could you uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and, and, you know, maybe a story that illustrates why you got into the education profession. All right. Um, my name is Michael Creekmore. I am a school counselor um, for an elementary school here in the, in the Atlanta area. However, I was not always a school counselor. Uh, prior to going into the school system, I still maintain my professional license as a um, professional counselor. But I was working in the community um, as a therapist for children and adolescents and even at times seeing adults. And my story is a little unusual because I know a lot of school counselors usually go through the schooling and the training and go right into the schools. I did not. Um, I saw the, the fork in the road and I went to community counseling or counseling psychology instead of school counseling. Um, so for years I was working in the communities and I was oftentimes a therapist that went into the schools working with students who were exhibiting some type of behavior issues or um, any type of adjustment problems there in the classroom. Um, but over the years, I started realizing that my, um, not to sound like LeBron James taking my talents to South Beach, <laughs> but I started realizing that my skill set and talents were better served in the schools instead of outside of the schools coming in. Um, I felt as though I would be more um, instrumental and more helpful right there in the school to try to prevent some of the behaviors that may happen um, if they're not caught early or if they're not, um, if someone doesn't intervene, interventions are given early. So, and I chose elementary school because I felt as though that is the level in which I can have the most impact um, and trying to prevent things as they become middle schoolers and high schoolers. Yeah, now I'm remembering back to when you, when you, when you talked about that the first time you came on. So how long have you, how long were you in kind of more of the community setting and how long have you been in the educational setting? Uh, well, um, community, as I was a, uh, receiving working towards my master's in counseling psychology i was working full-time at at that time it was a level five facility which was one of the more extreme facilities where you see a lot of very extreme behaviors mm -hmm. so that was probably like in 2000 and wow um 2003 not to date myself but um <laughs> that was 2000 <laughs> that was like 2003 i was working at a level uh, level five facility um, which is a um, residential treatment facility where they allowed the teenagers and um, pre-adolescent patients were sent there like for months on upon months to receive some type of intervention to help some type of um, therapeutic services to help improve behaviors. So that was like 2003 and then I left to go to work at a um, psychiatric hospital for some years and then went to the communities. So that was roughly, you're looking at probably about a 14, 15 year span there before I entered the school system in 2018. Oh, wow, wow, oh, that's right. So this is, so this is only your second, second year in the school system. 
Yes. Um, and then I didn't even mention my time with the um, Department of Family and Children's Services, which is DFACS. Um, I think in some states it's referred to as just social services. Mm-hmm. And then also um, Department of Juvenile Justice as well. So um, lots of experience. I guess you can often say I've every corner that you're dealing with students or um, teenagers with any type of behavior problem, I've worked in that capacity before coming into the school. So uh, I would say I've seen just about everything. You know, and it's funny, I know we said this the last time we were all, but it's so funny how our our backgrounds mirror one another because I started out doing most of my most of my undergrad, I worked at a, a residential treatment facility. Um it was a level uh, four. Ah, uh, there you go. There you and go. So <laughs> then uh, I left there and went to the state school and went back to a residential treatment center uh, after that. Um and then I got into education. You know, and I often tell people that I think that it gave me an advantage to learn how to work with people before I learned the pedagogy as far Absolutely. as it relates to going into the classroom. Because I think it that humanity side is what, you know, they that working in residential facilities, they teach you to, you, you have to learn real quick that it's not the child, it's the behavior. Right. And you have to right. separate the two. And so in order for it to be any type of therapy or any type of therapeutic environment, you have to understand that. This child is just the behavior is just a response to something, and you, in order to get to the response, you got to get to the child. And so, exactly. um, yeah. So, like I say, I think it's interesting. I, I think I see that more and more with people going into education that they're kind of going into it after they've had other careers and done other things, um, versus like you know people like Kyle who who was born a teacher, <laughs> raised a yeah. teacher, went to school to be a yeah. teacher, yeah. and um, and you know, and I just, I, I just think that's different uh, in the dynamic of how this the educational landscape is changing. Right, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, to your point, um, you're absolutely right. And even in within the field of education, sometimes we have to remember that conditions cause behaviors more than behaviors cause conditions. Mm-hmm. So that's something we often have to remember, um, even in most importantly in the educational settings, because that's important to know that. Mm-hmm. That's a good nugget. Yeah. So, so Mike, is there is there someone on your journey into the education field who field who's who's really um, added value to you? And and if so, could you describe their impact? Um, well, it's hard for me to narrow it down <laughs> to one person, and I'm not. I don't want to sound like a cliche or something. I'm trying to get brownie points. Um, but of course, my wife is definitely one. Um, at Love Teach Blesses her Instagram handle. Um, she's been very influential for me. Um, my older sister as well, who's a special education teacher, and also my mother, um, who was also, who was a previous uh, educator, um, worked with preschool and kindergarten. But I say mainly those three because they taught me a lot as far as how to look at it from the teacher's perspective. Um, I think that's really important because it's one of those situations to where you can see everything from the outside and not really fully understand the perspective. Um, but it's until you've talked to people who have been in the position to gain some clarity and some insight. And that helps you um, formulate your, I guess you would say your approach a lot better. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, mm-hmm. um, I just realized 
<clears throat> I could have a, just one of those situations to where listening to them, listening to their stories, it gave me a greater perspective into the classroom dynamics and situations from the teacher's perspective, which I think helps me a lot now. Mm. Yeah, and I and I, I feel you there having those uh, those strong women in your life. I was very fortunate. I'm I'm the first person in my family to to have become an, a professional educator, but I have both my sisters have masters in social work and they're they're we're both in the social work setting before they decided to have have their kids but yeah I look back at you know my upbringing with the people I was around and and I'm surrounded by teachers in my family they just never taught school mm -hmm. oh wow so that's teachers yeah you know and, yeah. and I I especially look at my dad you know, you don't notice it when you're growing up, but like yes. now, now, now that my dad's retired, he spends like two or three, two or three days a month at the elementary school. And most of which he dresses up as, cause he's a volunteer firefighter. He dresses up as the, in the big Dalmatian costume <laughs> and goes and talks to the kids about fire safety. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. We, we love to hear that. So um, the next question, Mike, I had to slip in there because like I told you earlier, I, you know, we, we follow you on Instagram and every Friday you, you, you got the feet up, the feet up Friday with, with a good, you know, like what seems like a fresh pair of shoes every week. <laughs> so uh, I got to ask if, if you had to pick your, your top three shoes, your top three pairs of shoes all time, what would they be? Um, let's see. All right. Spoken as a true sneakerhead, I would, in no particular order. <laughs> it would be the Air Jordan 3, the retro um, bread edition, so the black and red edition. And it has to have the Nike Air on the back. It's all about the Nike Air on the back. I, for, for all my sneaker fans out there, it's, it's just, it, it hits a little different when it's Nike Air on the back instead of the Jumpman on the back. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for me, all right, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it speaks to the authenticity of it. Yes. It takes yes, it back sir. to the era. Yep, I'm yes. with you. Yes, gives you that nostalgic feel. So yeah, definitely. Um, so that's definitely a pair. Um, the next pair I'm going to say may not be too popular given the social climate. Um, but I'm going to say the Adidas Yeezy 700 Wave Runners. Um, and, and before I, people start blasting me on Instagram and everything, um, I say this because um, I'm a, my my wife and I we have four children, so I'm a father of four, <laughs> and that shoe is a definite staple dad shoe. When it's time to get up and run errands, when it's time to go to volleyball matches, when it's time to go to basketball practice, when it's time to go to dance recitals, dance rehearsal, that's the shoe I'm putting on. So the Adidas <laughs> Yeezy 700 Wave Runner, because it gives you the dad feel, but it also gives you, you know, some comfort and a little bit of flair and style. So, you know, uh, got to have that one in the rotation. So you're not um, wearing like, you're not wearing like the traditional gigantic Nike, what we consider, you know, like the white, all white with the blue check dad shoe oh, that, you, oh, that you get like at uh get oh, like at Kohl's or whatever because we always joke about that <laughs> the spice adams originals um <laughs> no not not those i can't do those oh, i think man. i about 21 years before i can slap those bad boys on mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I would definitely say i close it up um uh, with the air jordan one retro the chicago colorway Mm -hmm. um, and just because that shoe itself um, seems to have transcended 
eras. Like it's been around for so long and has not lost any steam or luster whatsoever. So just off of that alone, I have to put that in my top three. And it actually has increased in value if you think about yes, it. Yes, yes. You know, I told my my daughter's a sneakerhead, so she she she's she's like, Daddy, you, you know, that's our competition. Hey, you get an A average on your report card, I'll buy you a pair of sneakers. You know, hey, that's you know, whatever the motivation takes, I'll get it. Right. And so she, when she first started talking about it, she's like, Daddy, these are the new Jordans. Like, baby, those are not new. Right. Like, I remember going <laughs> to the store and buying them. They were eighty nine dollars when we were going yes. to buy them. Yes. And now I go to the store, they're $189. And I'm scratching yes. my head. I'm like, you, most, of, most of you have never even seen Michael Jordan play. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> you know, not even on the grainy ESPN uh, <laughs> behind yeah, the story. Yeah. You haven't even yeah, seen yeah. that yeah. yet. <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and it's, it, I think it's a testament to, to, to branding. Yes. And, and maintaining Absolutely. that brand and bringing it back at the right times to keep it relevant. So that's, that's, I, I've never, I've never looked at the Yeezys. You're gonna have me taking another look at the Yeezys now. I'm not so much a sneakerhead. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cap person. Okay. So, I, I, <laughs> well, they grow, I, they grow on you. It's um, <laughs> when you first see it when it says Wave Runner. That was the most apropos name because when you see it, you think Wave Runner, like on like jet skis. Like you think Wave Runner, <clears throat> but the fact that there's so many colors in there. It's a lot of different colors in there, a lot of different textures, but the shoe itself is sturdy. It might give you that Spice Adams feel, but it has style and flair to it, and that's kind of what you want. So when you you know you might bump into some things or whatever that that shoe can it can stand up and hold that, and still make your foot feel like you're you're you know you're walking on some pillows. So it's good. good. Check it out. Let me know what you think, man. Let me know what you think. I'm definitely gonna have to look into them. All right. So, so Mike, like, like we said a little bit earlier, our theme uh, for this podcast and for this month is continuing to grow as an educator through the holidays. So um, we're all ready to thrive going into 2020 because I know from my prior experiences, I've had those times during this holiday season where I've tried to coast into it. And when I thought I was coasting, I was actually getting worse. Um, and then it really didn't set me up for success uh, in the second part of the year. But you know, we we brought you on to talk about how we can better serve our students uh, during what can be a, a difficult time of year for them. So just getting started, what are well, some of the challenges you, you see students facing? It is. It's a very tough time of the year. Well, it's, yeah, it is. It's a very tough time of the year. And I think um, one of the things that some of the things that you see are like the holiday blues. Uh, I always often call it the holiday blues. So it's akin to situational depression. Um, and I think that's one of those things that it happens. It comes upon you. Like you said, you kind of, and it happens for the students as well. Um, the holiday depression in where it's, you know, you start seeing everyone talking about the holidays. Everyone's happy and excited about the holidays. And some of our students are not. Um, some of them are overcoming feelings of inferiority um, because everyone's talking about what they're going to get for Christmas. And it may be a situation through their socioeconomic status where they may not be in that conversation to get some of those things that others are speaking of. Um, so that kind of gives them the feeling of that inferiority because, okay, I can't be in that conversation. I want that, but I can't have that. 
Um, and a lot, oftentimes it could be painful anniversaries, like the loss of a family, family member, um, separation of family, um, parents, you know, parents who separated. Um, I've had lots of students um, between last year and this year who the main thing they want to talk about, and I spoke about that as well um, briefly on Instagram, just how a lot of times parents may be going through changes in their, their marital status or within their relationship. And they kind of leave their child out in the blue, not letting them know what's going on. Um, and the children are way more perceptive, intuitive, and insightful than we were at their age in the elementary school. But you leave them out there in the blue and they don't know what's going on. It builds a lot of anxiety. Not quite sure what they should be doing, who they're going to live with. They have all these questions that no one is seeming to talk to the, to the child about. And they have to deal with that. They have to come to school and learn and take tests and function like everything's okay when it's not. Um, and the holidays seem to really amp that up a little bit because for whatever reason, you know, we all know um, holidays can bring out the best of times and they can be the worst of times. Um, so for children, there's a lot of anxiety surrounding that. Um, also, you're looking at things that may have been traumatic that have happened. I don't know why it seems like every time you turn on the news, it's around Christmas time or Thanksgiving, that it's always the, one of the most devastating things to see a home fire. Um, and it happens usually in a lot of different schools, and it's always this time of year. For whatever reason, a lot of times it may be the kerosene heaters, um, some things that may occur in the home. But it's a lot of traumatic things that happen around this time of the year. And students, you know, they're charged with having to just, you know, put on your backpack, go to school, continue to learn, and everything is going to be okay. We're going to get everything back, even though the room you were living in is no longer, even though we were living somewhere else totally, um, you're going to be okay. And oftentimes they're not okay. It's not okay. Um, so it's a lot of things going on, not to mention the typical anxiety just related to the change of family dynamics. You know, mom and dad are separated now, but now, Dad has you for a Christmas holiday. Mom gets you for New Year's. And you have to adjust to new family members, possibly. Um, change in settings. Um, you know, so for some kids, hey, this isn't, this, this isn't my mom. This is mom's, I mean, this is dad's girlfriend. So it's, it's just a lot of things that occur that culminate right now. And we're like, right, kind of like in the throes of that now. It kind of seems to really ratchet up just another notch right before Christmas, right before Christmas break. But all those things seem to happen and transpire like right now. And I think it goes to the teacher being aware of their students and, and picking up those changes. Right. Because so a lot of like, times, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, as far as that, it's, it's great for the teachers to be able to acknowledge it, to find it, to see it. And the best thing you can do is to see it, see the change that's happening. See that your student is, and we can, you know, of course, I'm assuming we're probably going to talk about that as well. What are some of those changes? But if you're the teacher in the classroom, notice that John went from being, you know, outspoken, talkative, engaged in class to where now he's kind of, <clears throat> he's withdrawn. He's not saying much and those things are happening, but you have to be a teacher that's aware of that. But 
you know, noticing the signs is great. And I can guarantee they're almost always signs that are given. And you try to take the time to, you know, to speak with the student. But it's hard to notice the change in the students if you're not addressing the change in, in yourself. Like mm. what was just said earlier, if you're going through your own changes and it's a tough time for you personally as a teacher, you're not going to notice that John is withdrawn and John is starting to fail tests and not turning assignments. And that John's going through things because you haven't addressed your own issues that are going on around this time. You know, your own personal holiday struggles or seasonal issues. So it's, it's, it's a monster to deal with as a teacher. It truly is. Um, I, I, I want to ask what is kind of a self-indulgent question. I mean, but for me, so, so myself, this will be the first, you know, I just got engaged. So this will be the first Christmas where I'm having to choose between my family and my fiance's family. So could that, ah. be, some, could that be something that would cause a change in myself? Cause like, I don't feel like it's stressing me out, but I think it actually could be. Is that an example of something that would? Yes, it, it definitely could. Um, it, it most certainly could. Like you said, especially if it's the first time, especially if there are family members that are there that you have not met and had like a, you know, interaction with, mm -hmm. it could be because there could be a lot of underlying stress or anxiety that you personally have that, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really think about. There are a lot of things, the signs are, that we personally experience is usually always under the surface and it tends to come out in our activity or, or what we're doing in the classroom with our students. The things that we used, the things that you used to do, you're not doing it anymore because you're trying to make sure your other things are in check, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's kind of the and thing to where, oh, go ahead. No, no, you finish your thought because I had a, another quick follow-up question. So, Oh, so it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just more about knowing that I have my things going on and I have to acknowledge that first and address, be able to address that so I can move forward and provide the best level of education, the best, you know, the services that I can provide for my students and take care of my students in my class. And it's hard. It's not easy. Like I always say being a teacher is one of the hardest jobs. I say it's second behind being a parent. Parenting is one. <laughs> teaching is two. There are two entirely difficult jobs. And no matter how long you go to school for it, you still don't ever full, fully prepare you for that. So it's, it's not easy, but yeah, to address your point, that is something that could be, that could definitely um, affect the way you're interacting with your students in your, your classroom. And then a, a second follow-up question I just had, you know, we want to pay attention to, to behaviors, like you said, to try to sniff it out, but are there questions we could be asking our kids? Are there different things that we could do to really more overtly try to check in with our kids? Yes, there are. Um, a lot of times, as you said, just something as simple as a check-in can help um, students. It can really help. If you're just checking in to see how everybody's feeling, or if it's a, you know, some, some teachers have simple check-in groups where you just go through, you might just go through and say how you're feeling, identify feeling. And it's something as simple as that. And that kind of lets you know, okay, anxious. All right, so um, Mark is feeling anxious right now. I'm, I know, mental note, let me get back to Mark later on to find out exactly why he's feeling anxious. Or maybe I decide to chat with the school counselor because it is their job, to, you know, to check on the social, you know, the social emotional 
components of students, let me make sure I let talk to the counselor, let them know, hey, you might want to check on Mark or, hey, you might want to check on John because the two of them kind of seem to be a little, you know, less engaged in class. I know Mark said he was anxious this morning. I'm not sure what that was about, but can you, you know, follow up with them? Because I don't want, what I don't want is I don't want teachers to think that it's all on them because it's definitely not. There are other people in the building who that's their main responsibility is to meet with the students to see what, to see exactly what's going on and to check in with them. And because as counselors, we know this is a difficult period of time, not only for teachers, but especially for students too. So a lot of times we have different groups that we're doing, different classroom guidance lessons that we're doing, just to make sure we're checking in to see, hey, you know, this, this can be a tough time. Yes, it's fun. Yes, we see the commercials. And that's supposed to be the quote unquote, the most wonderful time of the year. Um, of course, second to dismissal in May and June. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, we know it's supposed to be that. Let's check to see how you, are you guys really feeling that way. If you're not feeling that way, let's talk about it. It's okay to feel how you're feeling. And I think that's something that goes understated because it is okay to feel anxious, overwhelmed, not excited, not how the commercials depict it. It's okay to feel like that. But we have to talk about it to see, okay, why are we feeling like that? And constantly be, constantly encouraging you to know that you can push through. You can, you can make it past this. So it's, you know, all those things are, are paramount to overcoming the, what I call the, the holiday blues. Now, I'm sorry, I should have warned you guys. You got, well, you guys remember I'm kind of long-winded. No, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's good. I, I, I can just see both of us, both of us just trying to process everything there. So um, when you talk about the holiday blues and, you know, behaviors, being because of those, you know, conditions that kids are, are facing, what, what do you see as, are, are there, you know, typical behaviors we could see? Are there certain things that might manis- manifest themselves in our classrooms that would identify these kids? Yes. Um, and in, in, short form, um, in short form, it varies. I say that because each student is different. But I can tell you initially, it's shortly after Halloween is when you're going to start to see um, possibly an increase in acting out behaviors and some of the students that may already exhibit behavior issues. Um, and it could be, you know, often for a multitude of reasons, like I listed earlier, um, that are, that's happening surrounding the holiday, you know, the holiday time of the year. But you're going to see adding out behaviors that increase in terms of disrespect, poor social interactions. That may be going on while others may be more withdrawn and, you know, just almost like reclusive. Like they really don't want to be involved with anyone. You see them, they used to walk with their friends. Now they're walking by themselves. Um, Now they're eating lunch by themselves. That may typically be more what you see in middle school and high school. And with some of our elementary school um, students, it could be more just acting out behavior. I'm crying a lot. Um, I come to school, I'm sad, I look very downtrodden. All those things um, tend to happen. And like I say, it's been my experience shortly after Halloween. So shortly after you've ingested all that candy and ran around (laughs) and tried to scare everybody, now the holidays hit and you're like, oh my gosh, it's the holidays. 
oh my gosh, I have this going on. Oh no, I wanted this, I can't get this. There's just so many reasons why it happens, but it always typically, it well, it typically looks like the increase in behaviors. So it's one or the other. It's the increase mm. in behaviors, acting out disrespectful to teachers, disrespectful to peers, for social interactions. That's one category. And the other category seems to be the withdrawn category. They just kind of pull away from everybody and just kind of, you know, retract into themselves. So those are two mm. things that you see. And if you know those students individually, you know which one they are and you know what it looks like. Because mm-hmm. as I'm saying, I'm pretty sure everyone has a student in their mind. Oh, man, I didn't think about him. And I, that I didn't think about him is probably the student that you need to go check on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, another kind of follow-up question to that. You know, we initially wanted to bring you on here to talk about how we can support teacher or how we can support students. But how can we support colleagues if we feel like they're in in this position because i hadn't even and having to cross my mind that adults can be going through this same holiday blues during this time and it can impact their kids yes um and schools all across the country um typically tend to experience this with the the teachers the faculty and staff in the building because a lot of times teachers faculty staff they have so much on their plate that they may not be discussing. And I I often talk about, you know, the the things that are bubbling under the surface. Um, Everyone usually in the building has their, their teacher friend. They have their, you know, sometimes I refer to it as your accountability partner. Hopefully it is your accountability partner, meaning the person that is kind of holding you accountable. Hey, did you do this? Not so much that you do this for work, but did you do this for yourself, your mm-hmm. self-care mm-hmm. accountability partner? Oh, you said, remember, well, I, I just did, you know, because we all here, I did grades over the weekend. I did this. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to do that. Someone has to be the person to say, hey, well, what did you do for yourself? What happened over the, like, what did you, I know you have this going on, that going on. We have grades that are due in two days. Um, but what did you do for yourself? Did you take time for yourself? And sometimes just that question alone sparks something in you to say, you know what, you're right. I didn't do anything for myself. And self-care can mean different things to different people. I always say everyone has their own self-care recipe. Um, It's just important for you to continue to do that. That same accountability partner is also the person that can notice the change in you when the holidays come, knowing that, God forbid, if you've lost a loved one around the holidays, they know, okay, mental note, around shortly after Thanksgiving is when um, Miss Jackson's aunt passed away. She was really close to her aunt. Mm-hmm. Let me go check on, let me just, you know, just a brief check-in to see how she's doing. Um, let her know, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. But, you know, I'm, I'm checking on you. Make sure you're all right. And sometimes just that alone lets people know, hey, Somebody does care because teaching can sometimes be a, a an uncaring profession for the teachers, not for the students, but meaning that the teachers often don't get the accolades and the praise and everything that they should receive. It's just, did you turn this in? Did you meet this deadline? Are the kids showing growth? All those things 
or things that teachers receive back. But it's different when someone comes to the teacher and says, hey, I'm just checking on you. How are you? And it's important that we have that in our schools and you have to culminate that type of community and environment to where teachers want to do that. Everyone in the building wants to check on each other and make sure they're okay. They don't want to let one of their own or, or you know, a fellow teacher just kind of drift away by themselves without someone checking on them to make sure they're okay. So that's, it's really important to check on each other during the course of the year. So accountability partner is extremely important. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So, Will, any other follow-ups you want to ask before we knock out the, the final two questions? Um, no, I think, I think we're good. I think um, everything I, I was going to make mention about the whole accountability piece, because I know sometimes people are very private and um, like, for instance, my campus is pretty much a brand new campus. Uh, this is our second year. So this group of people, we've only known each other now for, you know, a little over a year. And it's just now getting to the point to where people are actually opening up to each other and having those conversations about, things that took place, you know, things that happened when I was a child or things that happened when I was an adult, when I first started teaching and those conversations are just now coming out. And I, I can get how it can be kind of tricky. So if you had an advice for a new teacher who was coming into that, this environment and they don't know anyone, what would you say to them about picking someone to be that accountability partner? I would definitely say when you're trying to pick or select an accountability partner, you want to select someone who, well, <laughs> let me backtrack because uh, it's almost like a process of elimination. You want to make sure you're not picking someone. Let me, let me tell you, let me start with the people you want to make sure you're not picking. <laughs> you want to make sure you're not picking someone who tends to be someone who stirs the pot. Um, my parents often say someone who carries a bone for a lot of my people who um, I have parents who are who are familiar with that saying. You know mm-hmm. what that means. Someone that you know just all constantly in the midst of um, dissension, constantly in the midst of rumors, gossip, all those things. You want to make sure you're not selecting a person like that. Um, I the easiest way to say it is most teachers when they start the profession, they envision themselves of, as being you fill in the blank this type of teacher. Well, if you're envisioning yourself to be, quote unquote, this type of teacher, then that type of teacher is the accountability partner you would select. So if you're trying to be someone who is, you know, still allowed to be still authentic to who they truly are, um, but has fun with their students, you know, not necessarily the straight laced teacher. You know, you put your hand down. You didn't talk. You know, I mean, you didn't raise your hand before you spoke. Like if you're not trying to be that teacher don't select that person as the accountability partner if that makes any sense you want to mm-hmm. pick a match someone who's matching what it is that you envision yourself to be as an educator because when you're fresh in when you're new it it, it can be difficult to select the right person and oftentimes teachers unfortunately select the wrong person mm-hmm. yeah for sure so all right oh gosh there's a lot man i'm gonna have to go back and listen to this a couple times to to process everything but a couple kind of wrap up questions before we get you out of here, Mike. So, um, after we, you know, talk through everything and, and I know you're a counselor, but 
What do you believe in schools is the one thing that every kid should be taught? Empathy. I cannot em- emphasize that enough, but empathy. Um, just truly understanding its importance and demonstrating an ability to display genuine empathy. Because I think that is a major component that's missed. And a lot of these school incidents that we hear on the news um, or that you might happen to see through your social media outlets, it usually is something dealing with a clear, um, a a lot of these incidents are devoid of empathy. And I think it's extremely important to have that because especially in this socio-political climate, um, if you don't have that, it's kind of one of those things to where you, you know, you just seem not to really be engaged, connected, or involved um, because you have to know, I will, let me backtrack. I personally feel that empathy is what connects us as people being empathic, knowing someone else's struggle, um, being able to empathize, not sympathize, but empathize. So if we have that in the schools with our students, it becomes something that becomes contagious. Some of the things that happen in schools, some of the incidents that happen, they don't happen because we have that connection that's there amongst each other with the students, with the faculty and staff. So empathy would be the first thing um, and the most important thing that I would say um, it's needed in all schools. All right, Mike. So, so for people who want to check out what you're doing, follow you, connect with you, talk more about, um, you know, the holiday blues, where can they find you? Um, you can find me at bearded.school.counselor on Instagram. And now um, you can also catch me and my wife on um, Creek More Conversations. It's something new that we just started. I guess you could say we're doing a thing. Now we're speaking a little bit more about just parenting um, and just, you know, from the perspective of two working parents that have um, four very busy children that are actively involved in different activities um, and ranging from age five to soon to be 16. (laughs) So it's never a dull moment in our house. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. Um, Definitely another place you can find me is um, Creekmore, C-R-E-E-K-M-O-R-E, Combos, C-O-N-V-O-S. That's another Instagram spot you can find us. Um, And, of course, you know, I'm always going to shout my wife out at Love, Teach, Bless for any educators that are um, listening, for all educators that are listening, Um, an instructional coach, lots and lots and lots of, um, she has a treasure trove of, instructional coach coaching tips advice uh, reading tips all those things all things instructional coach definitely my wife is there for it um so those are some places you can find me and if you want to see a nice pair of sneakers every friday you can catch me on here the school counselor as well <laughs> perfect man well uh before we ask you the final question we just want to give our our thanks and appreciation to not just coming on the podcast for a second time but the way you supported us over the last year since we've we've been connected uh we want you to know that it doesn't go unnoticed and it is very very appreciated well very much thank you thank you i i I appreciate you guys as well you guys are 
doing amazing work out there. And I, I think I see you guys on, um, I think just by every time I scroll on Instagram, I might catch you guys. And I'm like, wow, these guys are doing it big. So thank you, um, thank you for constantly inspiring others out there, myself included. So I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Thank so, you. Uh, you know, many years down the road, your, your educational career is, is coming to a close. Um, what do you want your legacy to be when that time comes? Oh, um, I would definitely say I want to be remembered as someone who was able to not only advocate for students, but I was also able to encourage fellow educators to practice self-care. Um, I think that's ex extremely important because the work we do is, is <laughs> Not to sound so biblical, but it's really soul-stirring work that we do. Mm -hmm. Like, it really is in the field of education. I think that goes unnoticed. But when you're doing soul-stirring work, it's important to make sure that your soul is good, too. So encouraging educators to practice self-care, to me, is equally as important as working with the students that may demonstrate some behavioral issues. Because it's almost like you can't have... I can't just work on the students and right. then send them back to the classroom and the teachers are, you know, having issues. So it's, it's kind of, I, I, I feel like I can't have one without the other. So I definitely want to be remembered as someone who was able to do both to advocate for students and encourage fellow educators to practice self-care, but also someone who was able to be himself in all situations and, and truly connect with every student that I encounter in a meaningful way. So I often say I like to consider myself the plant, um, the, the seed planter. I plant the seeds of change. Um, and I feel like those things that I listed enable me to do so. So that's, that is what I want my legacy to be. It's great, man. Like I said, we, we appreciate your time, and we once again thank you for coming on the Value Adds Value podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Kyle. Yes, appreciate it, Wilkie. All right, sir. Appreciate you.